Tizo stands for titanium dioxide and zinc oxide. In other words, their commitment to mineral sun protection is right in the name. Tizo is known for having a unique line of all mineral sunscreens with different textures and finishes that cater to every skin type and tone. Sunscreen application may seem burdensome, but with Tizo, it doesn't have to be. Their sunscreens have been meticulously crafted to seamlessly fit into your daily routine. Whether it is saving a step in the morning with an SPF that doubles as a makeup primer or giving your skin a glow before running errands, Tizo has you covered. All Tizo sun protection formulas have broad spectrum protection and are 100% free of chemical sunscreens, dyes, parabens, gluten, preservatives, fragrances, and phthalates. Check out Tizo's mineral sunscreens and so much more at TizoSkin.com. That's T-I-Z-O Skin.com. Shop with code LISTEN10 to receive 10% off your first order. This message is intended as a reminder that we are not licensed professionals, not psychiatrists or psychologists. If you have a serious problem, please seek professional help. The National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. Mic check one, two. Mic check one, two. Hearing all these letters read aloud by damsels not in distress. Host came to impress. Bitch, check your DMs. This is hot off the press. Good morning, Chloe. Rise and shine. Good morning, Stormy. Let's get into it. We're so excited about today's episode. We have Mary Beth Barone on. Whoa! Yeah! It's a big deal, people. She's great. Um, Try not to fangirl over her too much, but I am thirsty to be her friend, so there's that. Chloe is a longtime fan, and you've you've seen her perform live, right? I have. I saw her. It was right before the pandemic happened. Wow. I saw her. She was out here. She did two different shows. She did Drag His Ass, and then her and Benito Skinner... um, do like a cruel intentions do you remember that movie Mm -hmm. they do like a dramatic reading of it and it's so funny to see them read it back because it's just so ridiculous like just the lines in it and yeah but um their shows are always amazing and they're doing um a bunch of online shows now so you guys should check those out so when you were when you saw them live didn't you go up on stage with them or something So I went up on stage at Cruel Intentions because how they kick it off is right after they do the reading, they like look for volunteers to, I think they say to like share secrets or like share a story or whatever. And this is the story that I always tell when someone says, oh, have you had any bad dates before? Like, what's your worst dating experience? And it actually was not a guy from an app. So a couple of years back, I was in Ocean City, Maryland with a bunch of my friends from high school. And I had just broken up with a long-term boyfriend at the time. So, you know, I was like ready to get a little wild, meet some men. Um, so I met this guy and I'm not going to say his name just because he's still out there. Show um, us the receipts. Show I know. The receipts. I'm just kidding. Keep going. So I met him at a club. He was there. In Ocean City, Maryland, would love to see this club. Oh my gosh, what was it called? Was it Secrets? It was either Secrets. It would be called Secrets. Either Secrets with an A, like S E A, Crits. 
Get it? <laughs> clever. Kentucky, Maryland, so clever. It was either there or Fagers Island. Um, but anyway, we started dancing, and he was there with a bachelor party, and he was older. I mean, I was younger at the time. I was early 20s. I want to say he was like 30s, maybe mid-30s. And we were dancing. And I distinctly remember being like, this guy's older. I, I think I literally said to him on the dance floor, are you sure you're not like, you don't have a girlfriend or you're not married? And he was like, no, I do have a son though. And I was like, okay, well, I don't care. I really don't plan on seeing you after this night. So right. that's fine. Um, so we went back to the condo. There were eight girls in the condo. So we ended up, um, just playing some board games on the porch. Board games? Obviously did not play board games, but I'm not going to detail the activities that we did. Well, I thought you were going to tell us like Monopoly, Twister. Guess it was a form of Twister, huh? Maybe a little bit of Twister, yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is when Hurricane Hermione was happening. So it was getting pretty bad. And I was like, you can just go home. Like, I literally did not plan on seeing him again. Um, so the next day we woke up, my poor friend, Olivia, we all like wore her earrings out that night. She just had a nice collection with her during that trip. And I wore a pair of her earrings out. I had lost one. So I went out to the porch to find it. And where he was sitting, I found his wedding ring. And at first I didn't believe it. I was like, no, this isn't a wedding ring. And my friend Andrea was like, no, this is definitely a wedding ring. I was like, no, it's not. No, it's not. One of the girls inside was about to get married. And she's like, that's absolutely a wedding ring. So I was like, okay, what do I do? I had like eight girls like chirping at me being like, you need to tell the wife, like you need to do this. You need to do that. And I was like, did you leave something? Then sent him the photo. Cause he was like, no, did I leave money or what? And he's like, you fucking know what you left at this point. So anyway, calling me frantically, being like, that's my buddies, like blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, like, it was just literally so many girls yelling at me. And I was like, everyone, shut up. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to brunch. We're going to get whatever the fuck we want, all eight of us. We're going to just run up this tab and then he can come pay for it. And he like, and then I ended up telling him that I was like, we're going to brunch. If you want your wedding ring back, you can come pay for it. And he's like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. It was back when you could search phone numbers on Facebook. So I already had the wife's name. I already had the kid's name. I already had everything. We had all the receipts. And my friend Andrea was really good at social media stalking. So she had everything. He was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I was like, okay, well, if you don't, I'm going to tell whatever her name was. He was like, tell me when and I'll be there. <laughs> so we go, we rack up, like, we were just getting like shots, orange crushes. We were just like, keep it coming. Um, and we rack up like a $500 tab and our waiter the whole time was kind of like annoyed with us. Cause it's like eight girls and we're annoying. And like, he's probably going to have to split this at the end. So he brings the check and I like, and then I like filled him in on what was happening. And I have never seen someone's face light up this much. He was like, are you serious? Like, this is the story of the summer. He was like, Janet, you got to come hear this. Like, it was crazy. So he shows up and this part was kind of, it was kind of anticlimactic. Like he was like really mean. Like he was like, what's up psycho? And I was like, what's up? So yeah, he was like trying to give me lip. All the girls were like yelling at him. We were all like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's just facilitate this transaction first. Um, so yeah, he paid for it. I gave him his ring back, even though I should have thrown it in the ocean. And when he left, we all chanted asshole at him. Good for and you. At the brunch place. 
that was the last I ever saw of him. Yes. This brunch sounds hilarious. Like, were people in the restaurant hearing you guys chant asshole at him? Yeah, they were all like, why are you doing that? Like, what are you doing? Like, there were some, like, annoying girls at the table that were like, what, what did he do? It's like, bitch, you know. Yeah. My friend Olivia was, like, the one that I lost her earrings. was like, the best thing is he just has to live in fear for the rest of his life because you know all these details about him. Can we look and, and see if he's still married? I haven't looked. I actually forget his last name. I don't ah, know. But... Uh, I will say in in terms of like what I would do now, eh, I would probably tell the wife. I think the way you handled it was great. But I don't like men getting away with things. So um, yeah, speaking of men not getting away with things. Yes. I got a story for you. Okay. Oh, I'm ready. So, you know, my days with fuckboys have been over RIP for a little bit now. Though Brian, I consider to be a retired one. However, I got a fix of them lately when somebody had Googled me, my coworker, who um, we were working on a project together. Long story, I had added my middle name to my LinkedIn account and my IMDB name, because there are a thousand Lauren Harrisons, um, also has my middle name. So my coworker had Googled my middle name. One of the... Top results is WikiFeet, which is a feet website where people rank and comment on your feet. It is my full name with a link to my IMDb with a rating. I had a 375 out of five stars on my feet. I mean, not bad, but... (laughs) One man had uploaded 35 pictures from my Instagram account to this feet website where... I, maybe they're, I don't know what they are. Creepy people are commenting and discussing my feet. What were some of the comments? Nice, like beautiful feet, ugly feet. Like not, not like intellectual chat over here, but um, yeah. So in lieu of them not getting away with it, I tracked this man down on my Instagram. Saw he followed me. He followed two other girls that I knew. Um, but only one of the girls who I followed was also on the website, but she only had one photo. She unfortunately did not get the other 34 uploaded like some of us. Um, so anyway, I made my dad get involved because he's a lawyer. My dad sends a cease and desist letter to the website and, uh, it no longer exists. Period. Like people looking at my feet, like it grosses me out. It's weird, and it's a weird violation of privacy, and I'm sorry that happened to you. Um, I think I did tell you the positives where you got a high ranking, and it seems like a lot of celebrities are on the site, so you're kind of considered a celebrity in the wiki feet world. Um, I know <laughs> I'm so glad that my feet are doing better than I am. <laughs> <laughs> you need to be like how they're hand models. You need to be like a foot model for like Steve Madden or something. <laughs> well, it, I did over the weekend, like trying to make light of it you know but like actually feeling myself and I was like you guys can like have one picture of my feet because you know they're famous you sign them sign it with your feet (laughs) (laughs) the funny part about this is and I have officially talked too much about my feet that when I was a child I had named my feet Pongo and Purdy after 101 Dalmatians and I would refer to one like as Pongo and the other as Purdy which one's which Pongo's the right one Purdy is the left one 
you're like, don't put my feet on wiki feet, but if you are, you need to give them proper attributes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Call them by their names. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Wait, what's your dad's name? Steven. We love that Steven stepped in and intervened. Um, but speaking of people that probably get creepy DMs and weird things like this happening to them all the time, we are so excited to welcome the queen of the Fuckboy Recovery Program, Mary Beth Barone. Mary Beth is a comedian and host of Drag His Ass. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. I've been a fan of you for quite some time. I feel like I first came across your content. I don't know if it was your tweets or what it was, but it was just so relatable, like unfortunately relatable because you always talk about how guys are shitty and just how many times you've been screwed over. And I was like, I relate to this girl heavily. Yeah, I I really look forward to the day when we don't have any content left for Drag His Ass, but that has not presented itself yet. So, well, do you want to talk about how you started Drag His Ass and just kind of the experiences you were going through and like, I was also kind of curious, like, what led you to make it a live show? Because, you know, you could have made it a podcast, you could have made it anything. Was there, like, a reason you kind of gravitated towards that? Yeah, I think so. About, like, um, a year and a half ago at this point, I was just feeling, like, really fed up with my cycle of dating. It felt like I would you know, fall for a guy who was a fuck boy, but maybe he wouldn't reveal himself till later, or he would present me with all his red flags, and I would just kind of ignore them um, and move forward anyway. And, you know, I had identified that as a behavior that I wanted to stop doing. But obviously, like, recognizing something you want to change and actually changing it, there's like a big gap between those two things. So, you know, I felt like I would like hook up with a fuck boy, feel bad about it, feel better, feel great, and then I would do it again. So I just decided that I needed to hold myself more accountable. So I bought a whiteboard that I kept in my apartment and it said like fuckboy free for blank number of days. And then I would keep it updated. So my goal was to get to 100 and I would post about it on social media and people were really supportive. So I kind of realized that everybody seems to have a story that relates to fuckboys. And I knew that bringing comedians together to talk about it would be really fun. Um, So I decided to, in like March of 2019, to do a live show in Brooklyn called Drag His Ass. And I, I guess for me, like, I just wanted to make sure that the concept worked before I decided to do a podcast or anything like that. So really, I just thought it would be like a one-off thing where I would have comedians come and talk about their experiences and I would do you know information about my treatment program to overcome fuckboy addiction and kind of what red flags to look out for and then the show went really well the audience was like so overwhelmingly female and everyone just seemed really on board with the idea so I decided to expand the show to a bigger venue and then I started a segment called the fuckboy redemption which is where I would interview someone beforehand who'd been referred to me by friends or whoever and um, I would bring them on stage for like a live structured interview and try to figure out like why they are the way that they are and not really present it as a roast so much as like we all want to heal and get better Um, and one thing I've definitely learned from talking to fuckboys at this point is that like they're not really enjoying it either like Mm -hmm. they want a lot of them want to change but they've just been doing you know the same thing for years and years and so they don't really know how to like be emotionally available or like show up for people so a few I think after the first or second show I decided to start like a meme account on Instagram which I always go back and forth on because I'm like do we need more meme accounts but when people dm me that 
they feel like supported and like they're not alone because of the post, then I always know that it's worth it. So it's definitely been a journey, but it's been fun. And I think like I've had a lot of self-discovery throughout the process. So I definitely feel like it's all been really positive. How did you convince the guys to one, admit that they were fuckboys and two, come on the show? Well, that's really the thing about fuckboys, right? Is that they know that they, they know what they are. Like the ones that are in denial and I've like come across a few, you, they're not fun to have on stage. I did one with a fuckboy who just, when we met privately, he was willing to talk about like everything. And then we were on stage. He was so like trying to deflect and not like own up to the reason he was on the show. So that made it really hard for me to kind of like steer the conversation. But I think the audience like caught on that that was what he was doing. Um, but I mean, fuckboys love attention. So it really hasn't been a hard sell. There's been like two people, I think, who said no, because they just didn't feel comfortable being on stage. I mean, it is in front of like 250 people when it's at Chelsea Music Hall. So it's not like a small show with like, you know, a crowd of 20. Um, but it's been great. I mean, I've had a lot of good conversations with people on both sides of the aisle following the show. So I think it's been really fun. Yeah. I mean, it's different when you're on stage. I remember when you and Benny were at the Mint doing Cruel Intentions. Oh my God. Yeah. I was one of the first people that volunteered to come up and tell a story. Oh my God. And I thought it was going to be so fun. Like I had had like a few white claws. I was like ready. And then you guys were like throwing jokes at me. And I realized like, because my friend recorded it and I was like watching it back after. (sighs) I was like, I didn't catch on any of their jokes and they were like 10 times funnier than me. (laughs) Well, it's kind of nice when like, especially when you're sitting with a fuck boy, sometimes they don't know, like they'll answer things earnestly when it's like kind of a jab. So Mm -hmm. that kind of makes it fun. Um, But I always want it to be coming from a place of like positivity and never like, I really don't, I don't want my comedy to ever come off as mean, like to the undeserving. So I think when I, it's just funny, like when fuckboys are just being themselves, they're inherently so funny. Like I redeemed a girl named Allie out in LA and she's a lesbian. And I was like, you know, have you ever canceled plans with someone to hang out with someone else? And she was like, so earnestly was just like I thought everyone did that and it was just like it was just they're like the way they think about the world oftentimes is just very different and I think that that is always ripe for comedy we saw her too because my friend Lauren and I like we saw the dragon oh we saw you were staying for the mint but I saw her and what did she say she was like sometimes I sporadically text people like I just purpose like she purposely sporadically text people and I think I forget what your response was you were like that's psychotic yeah because (laughs) it is I mean she and she's such a sweet girl and like she's in her early 20s so obviously I didn't want to be too harsh on her like when it's a guy who's 34 and a 22 year old girl it's like those are different completely different cases and you have to approach them all differently but she was just so funny. She literally, her advice was like, you should just wait three days to text them back and then text them back within 20 minutes and like, just throw them off. Just like, see what, and I'm like, I cannot imagine living that way. I could never. Yeah. She Have definitely you- had like a sorted past. I was like, she was like fucking up with like all the friends in the friend group. I was oh like, my yeah, God, I gay astrology. Ugh. Yes, I know, which sounded so much, like so much fun. I know, what I would give to just be able to fly to LA right now and go to gay astrology. Have you thought about transitioning the platform now that we're in the pandemic? 
So I've definitely toyed with the idea of doing like a virtual show. Um, but right now, so virtual shows are just such a strange thing because it's like some of them are pre-taped and then you can like, it's sort of like a live experience, but you're just kind of basically streaming something to your phone or your TV. Whereas like if it's on Zoom or Instagram live or something, it often just can feel like not as put together. So I haven't really found the right balance of like, what do I want to ask of people? And then what will the demand be so that I can make sure like if I'm asking someone to put together a presentation and record themselves and edit it, like I want to be able to compensate them. So it's, yeah, it's kind of, I'm basically just waiting to see like how long this shit lasts. And I don't think I would do another live show until there's a vaccine. Mm. So there's got to be something in the interim, but I just haven't really figured out what it is yet. But I saw you were doing like coming clean and you're working on the birdhouse and do you have any other projects you're working on right now? Yeah, I have a couple of digital projects in the works at Comedy Central. So I'm not sure when we'll put those out, but it's been really fun to work on those kind of during the pandemic. And then I am just trying to figure out like coming clean was so fun. And I really enjoyed like structuring the show and challenging myself to like come up with interview questions and games and all that was really fun. So I actually think if I were to do a recurring like uh, virtual streaming show, I would just convert that to a different platform. Um, maybe one of these like apps that are specifically for events where you can buy tickets. Cause like Instagram live is great, but since there's no barrier to entry, it's like people kind of just come and go as they please. So I think it would be fun to have a show that's more like of a production mm-hmm. and then people pay to come and then you can like get people more engaged. Mm-hmm. Are you still in Connecticut right now? I am. Yeah. I've been living that suburban life. Um, most of the summer and it's been lovely. It's been great. I, I love, I mean, I'm, I like my family. So I think that makes a huge difference. Yeah. So how did you make birdhouse happen? Like, cause it looked so good. Like, did you have a cinematographer come out? Like, how did you do it? For the first one, I just filmed it on my phone and it was so annoying because framing shots and then having to rewatch them and then redo them if you need to, was just like, so annoying and I was like running around my parents lawn in a sheer dress and underwear while like my brother's wife's family was like visiting and I was just like I need to get this done um so then for the (laughs) second one I I knew after I made put out the first one I wanted to make another one and I decided I wasn't going to put that pressure on myself to do the parts of the project that I don't actually like which are like editing and filming it like you know, holding the camera. So I reached out to someone I went to high school with, his name is Will Hart, and he's a director. And I was just like, how do you feel about doing this project? Like, it's all going to be outdoors, and it'll be safe. We don't have to like get closer than six feet. And I think it'd be fun. Um, And he was just like, so on board with it and knew exactly what I wanted to do. And he had a great camera. So that made it easy. And he said he would edit it. So I was like, this is amazing. Um, and he actually pushed to do a second day of shooting because we, we missed the sunset on the first day. And I was glad that like he did because those that was some of my favorite footage. And I think like a lot of times I'm scared to bring on collaborators because you don't have as much control. But if you find the right people, then it just will improve the project to like have more eyes on it. Have you gone back to New York since the pandemic started? Yeah, I've gone back to New York. I probably have slept in my apartment a collective like two weeks in the last eight months. But it's, uh, you know, it's, I've seen it go through like the absolute devastation when people felt like they couldn't leave their apartments. And now it feels like people are out, they're wearing masks. I 
rarely see people without masks, even just walking down the street. So I do think people are taking it seriously. And I've had a few nights where, you know, I've eaten dinner outside and it's been nice. So it's good to see the city kind of bouncing back, but um, it's just, it's, I mean, I talked about this in my like vulture interview, but going from performing like almost every night and then seeing the city so alive and just feeling like you have all this momentum and everything's amazing. And then it was like this random thing, just kind of like dropped a bomb on New York. And it's sometimes I do feel a little bit sad being there because, you know, I miss like how things were, but, um, just kind of have to get through this time and hope that we are able to like come back stronger, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Do you miss New York a lot? I see a lot of people pressuring you to move to LA. I'm probably one of them. Like I probably like all the comments. (laughs) (laughs) I feel pressure to move to LA, but I will not do that unless I get a job. So if anybody wants to hire me or cast Mm -hmm. me in something, if you feel that strongly about me moving to LA, then I will do it. But I won't move there without a reason because I like visiting. Like I've, LA has really grown on me as a place to like spend a month. And that's what I was doing in February when I went and I had so much fun. And that was the first time I went where I was like, maybe I could actually live here. But I do think like my heart is on the East coast. Mm -hmm. And also, yeah, it's just like, I get this feeling sometimes that I can't learn a new city because I'm 29 and I'm just too old, but I know that that's all in my brain. (laughs) For sure. I'm 29 too. So I feel like you can. I moved here last year. Okay. So you are living proof that it is possible. It is possible. But yeah, when I see a wrinkle in the mirror, I also like start crying. (laughs) So (laughs) there's that. Yeah, we are aging, which is kind of shocking. But at the end of your 20s, you kind of see the effects of that. So do you have like an estimated date that you'll return to New York? Or you're just like riding it out at this point? I have been going in and out a lot to do outdoor shows and like see people, which has been really nice. But if I'm honest, probably March. March of next year. Wow. That's like the that's the plan. So it's strange to think about. But since my parents, I mean, Connecticut, where I'm staying, it's like a 50 minute drive. Um, so it's it feels like I'm just kind of commuting like people did back in the old days. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. I normally live in LA, but I've been quarantined with my parents in Philly, but Mm. my boyfriend moved to New York right at the start of the pandemic. So we would have been doing long distance, but now I'm currently in New York. So, so it's kind of working out. It's been okay. You know, (laughs) but we want to talk about your comedy a little bit and what you like derive your things from, because I think you kind of acknowledge your privilege in a way that's funny and not shitty, which is really hard for comics to do. So can you just like talk about like your joke writing and just kind of like the inspiration behind it? Yeah, I think early on in my career, when I was still doing open mics and everything, like I was 24, 25. So I, and I really like, I had lived in New York for four years, but I hadn't really been like thrown into that diverse of a culture. Like I was working at a startup that hired a lot of people from like Ivy League schools and I was a college dropout. So I'm not coming from that place necessarily, but um, they, it was just like, it was very homogeneous, like the whole office, even as it grew, we had a lot of problems with diversity there. So when I started doing comedy, that was when I was kind of like in the mix with people that just had completely different backgrounds from me. And I learned so much in those like early improv classes about like what is okay to say and what's not. And like how you can punch up instead of punching down while maybe talking about the same things. 
So those those like early classes were really beneficial to me. And then seeing open mics, like just watching so many people get it wrong and just feeling like I definitely had a few missteps early on of like jokes that I wrote that then I would think about and be like, what am I actually making funny here? Like, what is the funny part of this joke? And I think a lot of people, well, I don't want to say a lot of people, but doing like reflecting on jokes like that is important to me because I, like I said, I, I never really want to punch down. So then I just kind of tried to think about like, I think I talked about this on another podcast yesterday, but like one thing that has prevented me, I think from like joke theft is just that a lot of my jokes really speak to my experience, but I try to do it in a relatable way. So it's like, if someone stole my joke, it would be obvious because it's like, you just didn't experience that because it's what I went through. Um, So I think like with my comedy, I try to keep it relatable and sometimes I'm surprised at like what people will laugh at like I'll write a joke and I think I know what the funny part is but then it turns out I'm dumb and the funny part is actually me being dumb so that's happened a few times which is always like a nice surprise but I think I I just try to I really do try to be thoughtful and make sure that I'm not like targeting a marginalized group or anything like that because although I think people who can do that well you know, those jokes can be funny. Mostly they have to come from those marginalized groups in order for that to work. But I do see people who just kind of don't seem to give a shit. And it's like, I mean, it's a risk. It's just one that I'm like not willing to take. So I try to keep it, I try to keep it thoughtful. Yeah. Well, and I saw it in one of your, I guess, recent live shows, you were kind of hearing on the political side of your jokes and talking about like your political evolution. So yeah. is your family now like on the same page as you or how has that been like with the election coming up? Yeah, I'm kind of working on a bit about how my siblings and I have radicalized my parents because <laughs> they didn't vote for Trump in 2016, but they have been Republican historically my whole life. So it's been really interesting to watch them kind of have to like grapple with what's going on in the Republican Party. And I was Republican through like when McCain ran. And then I basically was like apathetic politically because I was just like, these politicians actually don't really care about voters at all. And then when Hillary was going up against Trump, it was like, you didn't really have the option to be apathetic anymore. So it was like kind of a crash course and just like educating myself on like actually what is going on. And obviously there's so much I still don't know, but I feel like it's been great. It's been honestly, like, I don't know what I would do if my parents were like, you know, voting along party lines, because I think that would really damage our whole family. Um, So I like commend them for being able to kind of see like, through the the bullshit that Trump is always peddling. But um, yeah, it's, it's weird to look back on those conversations with friends, like in high school, when I was a Republican, like, saying that, like, I didn't think global warming was real. And like, I was against gay marriage. And I had a lot of beliefs that I'm embarrassed of, but like I said in the joke, like I'm, I do think it was like character development, if we can attribute it to one thing. I have some other political jokes as part of that bit, but they kind of, I just don't know if it's the right time. Mm -hmm. We'll see how it goes with the election. Well, you grew up Catholic too, and so did I. And I don't know if like the Republican Catholic thing, it seems like it almost ties together in most cases. But it's interesting, too, because I'm trying to think of when I kind of broke away from those beliefs, too. And I think it was in college. Yeah. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about, like, your bisexuality and kind of, like, when you started to realize that and, like, 
did that kind of also shift your like political views or, you know, when did that kind of happen? So that was about like a year and a half ago. I just, I've always had a lot of gay friends. Like I have a group of friends from high school and it's a handful of girls and then two boys and the boys were both gay. Like it just worked out that way. And I feel very lucky and grateful because they're great. Um, But I think like since moving to New York, I've always just had a lot of gay friends and then doing comedy. I just felt like those were a lot of times the people that I gravitated towards. So I, you know, when I decided to educate myself and become liberal, I was like, well, obviously all my friends, I, I guess like that wasn't one of my main issues was like, I don't think gay people should get married. Like, I think everyone deserves rights and they should be able to do what they want. Um, so I guess when I was 27, I met a woman and I just like wanted to date her. And it just seemed like, okay, well then I should just do that. Like there wasn't a lot of like struggling or grappling with it. And I think for me and maybe other people feel this way, like since we didn't experience, since I didn't experience the struggle of like coming out and dealing with like judgment and dealing with like my family not accepting me, um, I just feel like I struggle taking ownership of that sometimes, like ownership of being bisexual, because I just feel like my experience has been so privileged and like flowery. And like, I just haven't faced a lot of adversity. Whereas I think a lot of people in, you know, the LGBT plus community have. So yeah, after I dated that girl who was amazing and helped me really like kind of form my beliefs as a bisexual person and like what I wanted um, to get out of my sexuality. I've looked back on a lot of things that happened when I was younger that point to like, well, obviously you've always been attracted to girls. It was just like, I was always being presented with guys. And so I didn't explore that as much until I came out. Do you feel like after dating a lot of fuckboys and then dating a woman, it makes you hate the fuckboys even more than you did? I think it just points out like the stark contrast and like I want to say like no gender is perfect across the board and like dating a woman made me really get out of my comfort zone with like being emotionally vulnerable because she wanted to talk about our feelings all the time and I was like this is crazy because I am not used to it but I think it was really important for me to have that experience because um, it's okay to be openly emotional with people and just because I've experienced, you know, the opposite where like emotional vulnerability makes you feel weak and like people have an upper hand or whatever it is. That's just like, that's just like a lie that's perpetuated by the media. Well, I like what you say when you say that like anyone can be a fuckboy because I think you've had bad experiences with girls too that you've talked about. And then so often it happens that like, honestly, I think the fuckboy cycle is that they're so nice in the beginning. So then you're like, like kind of fooled and like thrown off and like, well, they love to gaslight. Exactly. Like that's where people get tripped up is like in those first few weeks, they're great. And they want to try to get back to that. And it's like, no, this, this person was kind of there all along. Yeah. And you can choose like I did time and time again to ignore it, or you can make the decision. Like now my whole philosophy is just like, don't wait for someone to screw you over End things with them when you want to like, there were so many instances where I was like, well, you know, there's, we're still talking and they we're still like talking about hanging out. So maybe I should just, just let this like ride this one out. And you just should never do that. Like it's not worth it. And if you take control of the situation and I, I'm not of the philosophy where like 
there should be this big like power disparity in a relationship but like just own your power and like end things first you don't need to wait for them to do it there will be someone else that comes along that you want to be with um you don't have to like stay in a shitty situation yeah and I know you said something about how you got into comedy was it like right after a breakup or kind of like amid you were in a long distance relationship I was in a long-term relationship, so I lived with my boyfriend, and I started doing comedy, and then it was kind of like, you know, I wasn't 22 anymore, and just like willing to do whatever, and I think a lot of times in relationships, which is why I've avoided them for so long, is like, I just wasn't self-actualized, so I just kind of like lost sense of self, and I just wanted to be super accommodating and, you know, compromise as part of relationships, but what I was doing was way beyond that. And it was no fault of like the other person. I don't think it was like conscious, but I just felt like now that I had something of my own that I really felt strongly about, the relationship just could not withstand like going through that. So then we broke up and, you know, I, he's great. We're still friends. And I wouldn't have done comedy if I didn't know that I had that support system, like if it didn't work out. So I'm really grateful for that relationship. But I think I was able to take a lot of things away from it that I wanted to do differently next time. That's why you're so relatable because I just feel like there's no other feeling like kind of like falling in like or love with someone. It can really like throw off like all your dreams and goals because you're like, oh, this is the purpose of life. And then they like leave and you're like, oh, wait, I need to go back to (laughs) what I was doing before. Exactly. And I think that can be jarring, but going through it a lot of times, Mm -hmm. it reminds you who's always going to be there when, you know, shit hits the fan. So I think that's important. When you first started being, getting into comedy and had to be super personal about everything that you're talking about, because you say that you draw on your experiences. And I feel like that was what was so interesting about Birdhouse was it really felt like a look inside your mind. Like, does that ever feel daunting or how, how do you get through it? It does. And I didn't really comprehend how so I'm a Gemini so I'm like riddled with contradictions but um which is so hard and nobody's talking about it (laughs) but what I realized throughout quarantine and maybe a little bit before is like I'm so willing to talk about my like deepest darkest insecurities or like what I've been through or things that I've done on stage holding a microphone in a room full of strangers but if I'm like sitting across from someone on a date, I'm just like, I'll just let them talk and kind of like, I'll chime in when I have something to add. So it's like this weird thing of like, I can, when I feel like for some reason being on stage, it feels like there's no stakes when it is like, it is pretty high stakes, but being on a date or like talking to someone one-on-one feels like, well, I, I just can't let them see what's going on in here. So it's definitely like, it is very revealing. And I have to, sometimes I'm like, whoa, did I like, am I speaking too personally here but I think since I've just done that since the beginning I want to continue it even if I am like hesitant at times because no one's ever come to me being like I think this was just like a little bit too personal (laughs) so I if someone does I can address that but it's it's felt good and like a release in a lot of ways I know you're a Gemini and so am I but do you know your rising or moon signs I'm a Gemini double Sagittarius oh I'm double Pisces okay which is interesting I know it's hard I don't date Pisces men so it's weird that I'm double Pisces (laughs) well I yeah I do I love astrology I think it's like so fun and I obviously you know don't take it too too seriously but I think it is nice to find out like it's just fun I 
straight guys hating astrology pisses me off so much because it's just like shut up just let us have this let us have like one thing yeah exactly you've taken enough away from us it's like exactly (laughs) just one thing is not hurting anybody exactly my boyfriend's gotten really into it because like my friends and I told him that he was a Capricorn and like the (gasps) thing about Capricorns right so now he's like yeah I'm a Capricorn like we're the best like oh and that's a very Capricorn thing to say So Capricorn of them. <laughs> Maybe if all guys were Capricorns, they would be on board with astrology, but you can't all be Capricorns, boys. Yeah, I wanted to also ask you, I meant to ask this earlier, but um about Birdhouse. Sorry, I know I keep going to this, but I really liked it. Um Thank you. because you are not holding a mic in that context and it was kind of like a look into your brain, was that a weird switch in being personal in that context? Yes, because I think when I'm on stage talking about it, if I'm not recording it, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to say it to these 50 people and it's going to go away. Like, it'll be like, it never happened. Um, one night only vibes, but then putting it on the internet was obviously a lot more, um, daunting because also it's such a weird format. Like if I was doing four minutes of jokes and it was in front of an audience and it was like people watching at home, so to speak, knew when to laugh. That's just like different than, doing jokes that are largely untested, especially ones that are so personal. So yeah, I, I posted it and was like, I just was like, I'm going to go throw my phone in the river. Like, I don't want to <laughs> see what's, what people are saying, but um, I think that people like those type of projects are always going to be the ones that like don't get the most likes or shares or comments. But I think for people who do like it, it's like, it hits harder. So that to me is like a success. I mean, it's hard to be vulnerable and put stuff out. Like I put stuff out before and then like at 3 a.m. I wake up and I'm like, that was too much. You need to take it down. Mm-hmm. Like it's just I've like- done that with tweets and then there's a delete button for a reason. Well, yeah, because it was like really artistically beautiful, but also really funny, which I felt like it was different than watching like your standard comedy show, which is what made it different and interesting. But I could see also made it more vulnerable. Cause I'm, I'm not, yeah. It's like one, people have to be on board with the idea Two, They have to be like not rolling their eyes. Cause like, I, I, I know, I know what it is. Like, it's like an art house, like stand up weird, like, like hybrid thing. And I could see people watching and being like, why is this bitch taking herself so seriously? But I think for people that saw it as almost like satire on those type of movies, got it in one way. And then people who like those type of movies could enjoy it for that as well. So I just wanted to give people the option to choose. (laughs) That was the goal. You got like really vulnerable with your friend that died. And I related to that because I had a friend die a couple years ago when he was really young. But it was very much like having to like parade yourself around and give all these speeches and like comfort all these people. And it's like, I don't know, you just did it in a really funny way that I could relate to. So I just thank you. And yeah, yeah, it's a weird time of year for me because, um, he died almost exactly three years ago. So it was like at one year after it happened, I just, I kind of tried to just like not think about it. But then last year around this time, I just like completely lost my shit. And so it's really like working through those emotions, especially when like everything in the world is so uncertain. But yeah, I think like he would have, I didn't want to write any jokes that I thought he wouldn't have approved of. And um, I think he would have liked them. So I like to spend time around like, in the end of October, like rewatching the things we did together and like my favorite videos of his. And I feel lucky that we got to work together at all. So it's really nice that we have those things that we, that I can look back on and just remember like when he was alive, basically. 
Yeah, definitely. So our letter writer today is dealing with her fair share of fuck boys. She says, Dear damsels, no matter how many different types of guys I date, I just seem to keep getting attracted to fuck boys. I'm getting really tired of the same old tired advice saying that I just need to date differently or the right guy will come along eventually. I've even given the nice guys a chance and they still seem to screw me over at the end of the day. I literally gave someone who described themselves as a self-proclaimed anime nerd a chance and he ended up ghosting me hard and then proceeding to have sex with my best friend a week after said ghosting. Yeah, like I said, it's gotten pretty bad. What am I supposed to do? Is this generation just doomed when it comes to dating? Sincerely, fuckboy magnet. Okay, that's a lot to take in. Um, first of all, who are your friends? Because that is shitty. <laughs> I think having a good support system who's going to lift you up and not sleep with people who've ghosted you is a good start towards recovery. But if you're asking my advice, I would say you need to take a break. Mm-hmm. I think the best thing you can do if you've gone through like a cycle of fuck boys that seems to never end is just like cut off the supply. Like you need to spend some time, obviously take this advice or don't, but I think spending time with yourself and figuring out what you value in people and what you value in a partner will make it easier to find someone who's additive instead of someone who's trying to take things away from you. People want like a magic solution they want or some kind of database of like non-fuck boys, but that just doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean, I say on here, I've said on here seven times, I'm going to take a uh, break from dating apps. But I wanted to ask you, you said you were on Hinge and you hated it. And you oh my God. I was on Hinge briefly. There would be like moments of weakness where I'd be like, okay, I'm going to get Hinge and I'm going to really like put effort into dating and I'm going to like give this a real try. And then I would go on a bunch of dates and oh my God, no, <laughs> just no. They're back like, in there too. And they market it as like a relationship app, but it's like, I feel like it's just like carryover from like Tinder and Bumble. Like they just like. It's just people on Tinder and Bumble who have high res photos of themselves. <laughs> That's literally all hinges. And maybe they work in finance. So they think that they're cool. I don't know. It's like bizarre. But I the one of the worst like relapses I had was someone on hinge. And I, I was just like, I'm, I'm fucking done with this stupid app. I'm so sick of it. It's it's in a way it takes your mind off things because you can kind of aimlessly scroll and like chat and you feel like, okay, well, attention is nice. But what are you really putting that energy towards that you're going to like reap anything from? If you've found someone on Hinge that you date, I think good for you. You are, you know, it's like going out to a bar and meeting someone like it is rare, but yes, sure. It does happen. You're a stronger person than I am. Cause I could not, I could not like hang on that app. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. And I think it's just, it puts like, I don't know. I think all of them are bad. I had Bumble at one point too, and I think that app is sadistic. But um, Bumble's like, annoying because I feel like I actually put energy into people's profile. Like I point out something on their profile and say something that like I think is comedy gold, and then they just don't fucking say anything back. And I'm like, okay, well then, fuck you. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's the other thing. I mean, Hinge definitely went about it differently in that you can really embarrass yourself on there in new and different ways. But because like you're putting all these like answers to questions, I think it, it does give you a little insight into the person, but I just, I just can't, I can't endorse. I can't endorse. I, I think if you, if, if you enjoy it and you have fun going on dates and you like getting to know people, then do your thing. But for, if you're looking for a partner, I don't know, just, just work on yourself and good things will come. That's what I would say. Have you been on Raya? 
I had I had a brief stint on Raya. And if you watch Benito's Halloween special, you will hear my thoughts on Raya. So I did like a horror short film version of the birdhouse called the birds it's like a mixed media kind of it's so weird and so dark I was like this is like kind of like uh, it's just you know it's just we'll see how it's received but Raya Raya gets a shout out I always feel like when people say like I always date the same type of person it's something that's a you problem and not a them problem because I just feel like if you're going to keep making the same decision over and over again then that's a thing that you need to address with yourself and we've talked about it before we'll talk about it again having a therapist is always going to be helpful I feel like therapy is key in all these situations people think they don't need therapy I think they are wrong I agree Um, so I really feel like that would be something to take into consideration and yeah I think that there's a lot of other problems here like you said the best friend a week after that's ridiculous like any friend should never do that to you so I not to be mean, but I think this is a you problem and not a fuck boy problem. Yeah. And I mean, just because someone says they're an anime nerd, I don't think I yeah. don't think you can assume they're not a fuck boy. Like No, I feel like all the guys in the apps are like, I'm a nerd and I'm like, ew. <laughs> but also that's not a personality. I'm sorry. Nerds right. are that's a personality in high school. That is not a personality when you're an adult. Like tell me something real about you. That is one thing fuck boys cannot do. Just say, tell me one thing about you that is true, not related to your appearance or like your interests. Just tell me one thing and they cannot do it. They struggle so much. It's like, it's insane. But I, I feel for this person, I've been there, you know, time and time again. And I think there is, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. But if, if you're not making decisions, like putting yourself first, yeah. then that's you and also maybe just wait a bit longer to sleep with people because that's the thing I was always really bad at and then I would get really upset yeah I think it's like when you you like after you kind of like face like traumatic experience after traumatic experience it's just like you can't bounce back from that right away like no No. one like you need to take a beat and like I've had like horror stories with my friends like my one friend she went on a date and he hooked up with another girl in the bathroom on their first date. What like, it's the fuck? Ridiculous. Like the way that these people act. And I think now is just a really good time to just like, I mean, no one's doing anything. No one can really go anywhere. It's like, just take some time for yourself and chill and don't go on the apps because they're terrible. People don't want to like introspect or yeah. figure. Yeah. And I think it, it is really hard. It takes work and it takes a lot of times going to therapy, but it's worth it because right you will feel a lot better yeah well I also think quarantine is interesting because it's kind of forced us to look at the people that we are close with because there's no more meeting new people Mm -hmm. and I think that's what makes dating so weird but I mean that's something to be addressed like if that's your best friend then these are the people we're stuck with at a time like this when a pandemic hits so I feel like those relationships become more important than the people that you may have a potential relationship with going forward. We hope that you recover. Magnet. Um, well, she doesn't have your show. So how is she going to recover? I know. You know what? I'm sending good vibes. That's all I can do at this time. Well, in the meantime, where can people find you, Mary Beth? People can find me at my parents' house or, <laughs> but don't come here because that would be weird. Um, you can find me on social media at Mary Beth Barone. I have a YouTube channel. Um, you can follow Jagazass on Instagram and 
uh, you know, someday we'll, there will be live performing again and you will hear about it on my Instagram. Well, Mary Beth, thank you so much for coming on. This thank has been awesome. Thank you for having me. Um, this was a pleasure and I hope that everyone who listens has, has a great life ahead of them. Well, El Chloe, your dream has been realized. <laughs> She definitely is one of my top comedians. She just is really relatable. You know what I mean? I think she discusses these things in an articulate way and people that are in the dating world can really resonate with it because we've all had to deal with our fair share of fuck boys. I didn't get a chance to ask her. She's doing like, um, she has these forms that people fill out and she calls it like qualitative research. Um, but yeah, I filled out her form, some of my fuckboy experiences, and it'll be interesting to see what she does in the future. She's so funny. I um, wanted to talk to her, but I forgot to say it also, about her joke about um, like how privileged people are to have been liberal their entire lives. Because I like had never looked at it that way, that like you were lucky to have a liberal upbringing because like you guys were talking about how you went to Catholic school and I went to Quaker school where like literally all of my teachers were gay and like every Wednesday somebody new would come out during meeting for worship and you'd be like oh yeah just another Wednesday and like both my parents were so so liberal um and it just never occurred to me that like that was a privilege like actually going to LA felt more conservative than my upbringing one of my favorite jokes of hers too is when she says um she's like always checking her privilege and then she says to make sure it's still there yeah <laughs> I love that I want it I need that yeah I don't take it <laughs> um but she's really great I really I look up to her in the comedy world so it was really cool that she was able to come on today she's somebody who does a really great job of bringing in their personal life experience too to their comedy which I think we can all take a lesson in um how brave it is to be vulnerable but mm. also how relatable you are when you do so well guys write us those letters vote stay hydrated wear a mask all those things all right until next time it's going down in the dms bye thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.